0: All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, looking at the second half of this chapter, verse 11 through 14. So far, I've been uh, considering Jesus as our merciful high priest who is for us, interceding on our behalf, helping us to hold fast our confession of faith. And we have already seen, right up until this chapter, that Christ is greater than prophets. He is greater than angels. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Joshua. Also, he is greater in rank than Abraham and greater than the first high priest, Aaron. So Christ is definitely, in Hebrews, being exalted to a the highest place anyone could be exalted and that's where we ought to exalt Christ also that Jesus is greater than all because he is not from the line of Aaron who died Jesus is related to the priesthood of Melchizedek which has an eternal aspect to it now that means that Jesus is a priest of God eternally So now, Jesus Christ, who perfectly qualified us as his children, gives us eternal salvation because of his office of completing everything a high priest was supposed to be. So, he himself is perfectly qualified as a high priest from an eternal order. And can and will provide salvation to all who ask, making his minister- ministry different. It is unlike any other ministry in Scripture that has gone before him. His ministry is eternally effective. Remember, the high priest, year after year after year after year, had to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Christ offers one sacrifice one sacrifice forever, that means he offers eternal salvation. If you look at verse number 9 of chapter 5, it says, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And then in verse 10, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, with the author's introduction of this very strange and, I said already, elusive character, Melchizedek. His very name, remember, Melech means the king of in Hebrew, and Sedek means uh, one of righteousness. So he's considered the king of righteousness, who is described in the Old Testament as the priest king. Remember, he comes to Abraham as the priest king, and of course Abraham, we're going to discuss that more in chapter 7, but Abraham gives him homage. Uh, he, Melchizedek returns a blessing upon Abraham. So we have something very strange and odd going on there. And so we have to ask the question, who is this Melchizedek? And so the, the author actually wants to continue to explain to his listeners, who is Melchizedek? He wants to say more about this priest-king and his connection to the eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ, but he realizes very quickly he can't do it. So he come, he's faced with a serious problem. Matter of fact, he's faced with a twofold problem. And you know what? This is a problem that we are faced with today, too. This is a problem that we have today also. It exists within evangelicalism, and I I believe that more now than ever. And you say, well, what's the problem? The problem is this. Remaining in a perpetual state of infancy. Not growing spiritually. Remaining a spiritual baby. So he, he lays down what he's going to teach about Melchizedek because he realizes he can't go any further. And he really rebukes them for being spiritual infants. And believe me, nobody likes to be called a baby. Even little kids, when they, they grow a little bit to get a sense of reality, go, go call a little, a little boy a baby, and he'll tell you, I'm not a baby right? Because we don't want to be called baby. We don't want to be considered um, infants. We we want to be considered somebody who's at least maturing. Physically, it would be a tragedy if someone didn't mature physically. It is a tragedy. It's a sad thing. But it's greater sadness that comes when someone doesn't develop spiritually. And the question really that he's going to deal with in chapter 6, which is a very controversial chapter. But you can't interpret chapter 6 without looking at verse 11 through 14. Because he's setting them up to say to them, listen, if you are perpetually an infant spiritually, maybe you don't have God's spirit, and you were never saved. So, So he rebukes them. And, of course, the rebuke is for us, too. It's a challenge. It's an admonition. It's an exhortation to us. Don't ever be satisfied where you're at spiritually. But that shouldn't just be a dissatisfaction that you're not growing, but there should be a desire in your heart to want to grow. God puts that there. That doesn't come from the flesh It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from Satan. It comes from the Spirit of God who indwells you, who gives you a desire to know more. You're never satisfied about what you know about Christ, about what you know about the Word of God, about what you know about the Christian life, about what you know about the enemy that's against you. You, You're never satisfied. You want to know because you want to grow to the place where you become so strong in the Word of God you can actually detect Satan's deceptions identify them, and refute them with Scripture. That's where you want to be, right? Any athlete is never satisfied where they're at. Anybody who aspires to anything that takes a lot of work and discipline is never satisfied. They always know there's someone else that they could look to who's better than them, and they aspire to be like them, but they know it takes more discipline, and it takes more practice to get there. Just this... Of da- a day ago, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., and we, we had a chance to go see the Marine Corps silent drill team and the Marine Corps band. And believe me, it was so awesome. But you know that everything, all the precision and all the ability to flip rif- rifles and be able to catch them without even looking takes day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out practice, Right? Until when you get before a crowd, you don't make any mistakes. And everything was perfect. It was awesome. And it was very uh, challenging and great to see that, that you know all that work that they put in, the discipline they put in, really they're able to pull that off. Because you just can't do it unless you practice, unless you put the time in. So no one wants to be called the spiritual baby. I hope you don't. So the author confronts them with two problems. Look at the first problem, verse number 11. It says this. And it's, it is the immense... It, it is immense. It's really... Uh, the first problem is the immensity of the subject matter. It is immense because of the person involved. Look what it says. Concerning him. We have much to say. Now, who's the him? Well, it's Melchizedek. It's Melchizedek, but... It's what Melchizedek represents. Remember, I said last time that Melchizedek is a theophany. He is a representation of a type of what Christ would be. Remember, Melchizedek has no lineage. He has no time that he was born. It says that in chapter 7, and we're going to look at that. But So this character, Melchizedek, is a very unusual character, but everything in his character points to the eternal priesthood, of Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? That's a, that is a heavy issue. When you talk about being taught who Christ is, that's a big subject where he says, concerning him, we have much to say. He had a lot to say. He had a lot to teach the people. But he couldn't do it. So, it's immense because the person involved. And that person is going to be Melchizedek, which is linked to the eternal priesthood of Christ. And a second problem is or a, a second part of the first problem is in verse number 11 where it says concerning him we have much to say and it's hard to explain. All right, so it is immense because of the revelation involved. He realizes here that to explain who Melchizedek is and how he's connected to Christ is a very very hard subject a difficult subject and so if it's a difficult subject then the person on the other side of the message has to be able to be ready to understand it you know if something goes over your head if einstein was talking to us about the math connected with uh his theory of relativity we would all be just sinking in our seats because we unless you're into that maybe Chris Frew would, would uh understand some of that being that he's reading about uh einstein right now and and math but you know most of us really when it comes to that kind of stuff will say man uh, this this is out of my league i can't handle this and so here this is a kind of subject theologically now come on you read the word of god you look at the old testament do you understand everything going on in the old testament no you don't and yet it's going to take year after year after year for you to study that. See, let me just say this, that the full-orbed teaching of the Christian faith is by no means an easy thing. It's, it's not easy to grasp. It can't be learned in a day. It can't even be learned in a few months. But it must be a daily exercise of the mind on truth, and it is something you cannot back away from. If you back away from it for a long period of time, you're already in trouble. Just like you back away from anything that takes discipline, where you have to be at your peak, at your best, if you back away even for a few weeks, a month, like fighters in the ring. They, they, they can't lay off for a year and then get, get in the ring with a prize fighter who's been training right up until that day. He's going to get craned. It's the same thing spiritually. we We have to think in those terms. And so that's what he's saying. So an unwillingness to work out the deeper implications of the gospel in your lives and to remain reluctant to give serious thought to the ongoing exposition of Scripture, because remember, exposition of Scripture takes work on the part of the people who listen. They have to actually engage their mind. They have to be thinking through the arguments that are going on within the scriptures, so they can grasp it, so they can implement it in their life. If they're not doing then that on a regular basis, then that will pre- prevent spiritual go- growth. It will hinder spiritual growth. So this, the author has a huge problem here. But he has a second problem that goes with that. And that's found in the last part of verse number 11. And that the second problem is the ineptitude of the students. Look what he says here. He gives the essence of this ineptitude. Since you have become dull of hearing. It means here to be slow. To be sluggish. And then he, we could use this word too. Dull. The word was used actually in uh, literature to mean... It's really used for the numb limbs of a sick lion. And hey, if if a lion was slow moving, he wouldn't be able to catch his prey. And it would just be a matter of time before he grows weaker and weaker, he becomes sick and he dies. So he, the hunter, becomes the hunted. Now that, in the wild kingdom, is a sad and pathetic tragedy. But it is greater tragedy for a believer, for the church, because their ineptness, ineptness really results in two things found in our passage of Scripture, where he says in verse number 11 that since you have become dull of hearing, all right, and then the, from the author's perspective, it restricted his communication. He couldn't communicate. Any longer, the teacher could not teach the people the revelation of God's word. In other words, he was not able to give them the meat and potatoes of scripture because what he had to say was difficult stuff. And a second thing, from the student's perspective, it restricted their comprehension. In other words, they weren't able to handle what he had to say. Why? It all says right there, they're dull of hearing. They're not hearing it. If the believer's mind remains numb and their mind stops feeding on spiritual truth, well, then they they are not going to grow spiritually. And a Christian not growing in spiritual truth is a very, very sad and pathetic thing. Because if God at conversion gives you new life and he gives you the Spirit of God, that very principle means growth starts, God starts it, and God continues it. But we can get in the way. The world can get in the way, Satan gets in the way, the flesh gets in the way. And in this case, because we already saw that the author is is really talking to believers, and they, they somehow got into this state. Now, we really, he doesn't tell us why they got into this state, but it could be. It could be, that they got into the state because they were not willing to suffer for truth. Remember, they're in a place where the pressure is on, uh, and they were thinking about going back to Judaism. Hey, it was comfortable in Judaism. I didn't have to worry about you know, losing my job or losing my place in the community or having respect in, in, my, in my family and then in the broader community. No, that was easy then. Now I'm a Christian. I'm, a, I'm dirt. And they, and they got to the point, maybe, they said, I, I, I can't take this anymore. Uh, you know, and so they, they became sluggish in their thinking. It could be they didn't want to suffer like their Savior suffered. They didn't want to, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, come under God's discipline. Where, remember, the discipline of the Lord is found in the Old Testament. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't despise when God comes into your life and spanks you spiritually to get you on track. Don't despise that. Embrace that so it brings you to repentance. So it brings you to a place where, again, you're spiritually keen. You're up on things spiritually. You are hungering for the word of God. So you become dull of hearing. And notice what, in verse number 11, since you have become dull, of hearing that implies that the readers were once keen of hearing but have fallen into a sluggish and spiritual laziness it also gives some hope to the readers to the those who are listening that their sluggishness not be, need not be permanent this is not a permanent ma- malady if you take care of it but one thing that I, you and i realize that our culture and modern evangelicalism does not help rescue anyone from this condition but often encourages one to stay in it just go in your local christian bookstore there's nothing in there that's worth reading oh there there may be some things but you got to really look for them they're, they're tucked somewhere in the back a lot of the stuff is garbage it has nothing to do with anything it has nothing to do with exposition of scripture it was a preacher in london uh, 50 years ago martin lloyd Jones uh said something very applicable for today. He observed that there were those who believed the Bible must be put in such simple terms and language that anyone taking it up, reading it is going to understand un, to understand all about it. He adamantly responds in this way and I quote, "This is nothing but sheer nonsense. We must do what we must do is to educate the masses of people up to the Bible." not bring the Bible down to their level. One of the greatest troubles in life today is that everything is being brought down to the same level. Everything is being cheapened. The common man is made the standard and the authority. He decides everything, and everything has got to be brought down to him. Everywhere, standards are coming down, down, down. Are we, he asks, to do the same with the Word of God? He says... Absolutely no. But isn't that what's happening? It's, it's happening everywhere, and it's happening in the church. I mean, you have teaching today that says that clear issues about the Word of God are no, no, no longer clear anymore. They're, they're up to much debate and interpretation where throughout the centuries people have died for those truths. Now they're not so important. Also, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great uh, preacher of, of the past that I I respect greatly, said succinctly, if we keep the Holy Scriptures, we can't go wrong. With such a standard, we know that we are right. This is the Word of God, and if we teach it, we teach that which the Lord will accept and bless. Those two quotes show that there is an attempt by some Christian leaders to dumb down the Word of God with the attempt to be relevant to the world, but with this philosophy, the church runs the risk of becoming so much like the world that one won't be able to tell the difference between the two. We have to be different, we're called to be different. See, the great scandal of today's church is Christians without Christian minds. Is that possible? When you look in Scripture, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Well, there's the problems. We have those problems today. The Word of God still difficult in many portions. And if you're not able to handle it, you can't teach further doctrines. You can't teach the doctrine of predestination or election sometimes because people just can't handle it. They don't accept it. They're not ready to receive it. So he explains their ineptitude in verse 12 and 13. And we'll look at that now because, see, these Hebrew Christians, after many years in the faith, these are not new believers, have grown spiritually dull. So enough time has passed for them to have developed to become a mature Christian. And a mature Christian at least is able to articulate to someone else the basics of the gospel. Or to say to someone else, listen, how do you know you're saved? Not, not just because I feel like I am. No, but you, a, you're able to articulate why you're saved. Right? The feeling or experience is not a good argument. It's part of it, but it's not the argument. To, but to be able to communicate to someone else, What changed in your life? Who changed your life? What happened? What what took place in it? And why is there a continual change in your life? You have to be able to grow to a point where you're able to communicate to others what happened to you and what you're learning in the faith. So, here's the painful diagnosis in verse number 12. And here it is. He says this to them. Your babies, by this time you should be teachers. He says, for though... By this time, you ought to be teachers. Now, remember, it, this is not teachers in the sense of theological professors or uh, pastors and elders, but teachers in the sense that you can't explain the gospel. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let's press on to maturity, not laying again this foundation of repentance from dead works or of faith toward God. In other words, the elementary teaching about Christ. There is certain elements of the teaching about Christ that are simple. And part of that, even though we know the gospel is broad and deep once you get into it, but initial conversion really is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's a turning from your way, and it's accepting of God's way, and knowing that only through Christ can you be forgiven and saved and made right with God. That's pretty simple. So those are some of the elementary things. These, these believers weren't even able to do that. He says, secondly, from, coming from verse number 12, you never got past the rudiments, the basics, Christianity 101. So the same students needed to be taught again the same subject by another teacher. In other words, someone needed to teach them the ABCs of Christianity. Let's get back to phonics, man. This is kindergarten 101. Spiritually, that's where they were. That's pretty sad. But there's a lot of Christians like that. He's aspiring to encourage them, don't be like that. Don't ever get to that place. Look at verse number 12, the second part. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Right? Really referring back to some of the Old Testament principles of the prophets prophesying Christ to be the Messiah and the Savior and just the very elementary things you need to learn the very ABCs of truth. You need to go back to the basics. And then he says this, you need even to be bottle-fed. Verse 12, you have become, you have come to need milk and not uh, solid food. So the only ones who use milk are babies, right? And or someone who is ill and has to go back to drinking milk or weak and they have to go back to some kind of, you know, diet that you have to, you know mash the food up to the point where they have to swallow it but in this case they they couldn't even do that they just had to have a bottle they were little babies that could not handle any kind of solid food and so that was the condition of these people and, and this is a tremendous rebuke to them it should be a tremendous rebuke to us too and then in verse number 13 he says this your decisions and behavior display spiritual ignorance And like little children, you do not know the difference between right and wrong. He says this for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant. And remember, when you're taught the word of God, it is going to lead to this. The word of God has everything to do with righteousness. And what is righteousness? Right thinking and right living before God. It's a practical thing. You learn the doctrine first, and now I practically live it out. I learned the doctrine first, and then I know when Satan comes against me and he accuses me uh, of being a dirtbag, uh, I can tell him that may be true, but Jesus Christ has saved me and given me a place that no one else could give me, and he's cleansed me and given me a, the white robe of righteousness. You deal with him. See, if you know those things, you're able to do them. But in this case, they weren't accustomed to the word of righteousness because they were babies, they were infants. Infants don't know how to do things right. Babies don't know how to do the simplest things right. Little children can't even put their toys away when told to do so. You have to teach them over and over and over and over again until it becomes a habit to when you say, uh, put your toys away, then finally, maybe they'll get it once in a while when they feel like, right? Because they're, they're in, in still infants. They're baby, but real infants can't even do that. They can't even do that. But even kids, when they grow a little bit older. So there's the problem. There's the issue. There's the spiritual state of the people now the problem the solution there's a solution to the problem that he gives in verse number 14 and the solution to the problem in verse number 14 is simply this get in and i'm saying it like this and stay in the spiritual gymnasium now why why do i put it like that because actually the greek word here is well it's It's a word that we get, gymnasium. It sounds like gymnasium in the Greek. It means to exercise vigorously either the mind or the body. It's the word translated here in our text. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, they have their senses trained. There's that word, trained to discern good and evil. So he begins to give them the solution to the problem. Get in the gymnasium. Get in the spiritual gymnasium. Get under, back under the Word of God. Learn the ABCs again. Come under the teacher again. Be receptive to the Word of God and then continue to stay there. Don't get out of there. Don't let anybody move you away from that place. Don't let suffering even move you away from that place. But continue to be faithful to the listening and receiving, and thinking about, and meditating on the Word of God. So as one becomes accustomed to the Word of God, by constant use, the mind then, and I'm really emphasizing the mind, because God doesn't bypass your mind. He's going to transform your mind. So when your mind is accustomed to the Word of God, what happens? You're going to be able to make correct judgments between what? Between what is good, what is pleasing to God, what is right living, and what is evil? What to stay away from? What where we shouldn't go? And that's what happens when you grow in Christ. You can make that decision. You can you can discern it, and you can do it when it's necessary, when it comes comes to you. So what we have here in this section is what is called an inclusio in literature. An inclusio is like a sandwich. You got the top bread and you have the bottom bread and in the middle is the meat. Right? Well, it's a package, and so he's laying out the beginning, the top layer of bread before he can get to the bottom layer of bread, because he goes in this whole section from chapter five, eleven to chapter six, verse twelve. That's the whole section. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at verse eleven again. It says this. Since you have become dull of hearing, or you've become sluggish, right? And then look at verse number 12 of chapter 6. Look what it says there. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he is admonishing, listen, this is where you're at now, but you don't have to stay there. You can come to a place, you can grow to a place again, where, listen, he gives, them ho- he gives the listeners hope, and he says to them, listen, you can come to a place where you can have a, a time where you are, are learning God's truth, truth through diligence, to be, even to be able to imitate those who, through faith and perseverance in God's truth, inherit God's promises. And that's why when you get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, what does it talk about? It talks about people who persevered in the truth, And they saw a city whose maker was God and builder was God, but they didn't see the city on earth. They knew it. They had it by faith because they knew God tells the truth. And it's going to be the same with us. We have a promise, and the promise is we have eternal life. And our eternal life has started already, but we're going to die physically, and we're going to go into that eternal life. That's our hope. That's what we're holding on to. And how can I hold on to that? Because God tells the truth. That's why. He's accomplished it for me. So, from verse 11, chapter 5, to verse 12, chapter 6, there's four connectives. and I just want to throw them out to you. I'll I'll pick them up when I cover that chapter. But in chapter 5, 11 through 14, he uh, is a call to be attentive hearers as he tells them that they are spiritually immature. He identifies their problem. He shoots from the hip. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, he calls them to correct your present course and move towards spiritual maturity. In chapter 6, verse 4 through 8, he warns them of the devastating consequences of apostasy. Remember, an apostate who leaves the faith cannot be renewed to repentance again because they denied the full-blown faith and gospel of Jesus Christ. They're done. And so he says, there's a great consequence to apostasy. And then in chapter 6, verse 9 through 12, he exhorts them that you can overcome your dullness by hearing God's truth again, by growing to understand the deeper, the more difficult portions of Scripture. So we, we should never be pushing away the difficult parts of Scripture. You may not understand it right now, but give yourselves to truth. Constantly be under the word of God and God in his time will develop in your mind this whole scope and panoramic view of what he's doing in his whole plan of salvation from the beginning to the end and you begin to fill in the blanks. You begin to put the little pieces of the puzzle in it and more and more every year as you grow in Christ, as you grow in understanding of scripture, you become more aware of that plan, more confident in what God is doing and you feel stronger in the faith Uh, not to be moved or be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching that's going out there and believe me there's a new wind of teaching today you know what tomorrow there'll be another new wind of teaching and next year there's going to be another new wind of teaching it was the inerrancy of scripture in the 60s and 50s and 60s it was the sufficiency of scripture in the 70s and 80s and now we have the clarity the perpiscuity of scripture the Scripture's not clear well what's the next attack It's going to be somewhere down the line so so satan attacks scripture and he does it often through through quote-unquote evangelical christian movements you can't believe everybody who's out there in fact just the other day i was having a conversation with a person and they says they were listening to someone on the tv and they said oh the person told me everything i wanted to know everything i was feeling and they told me it's all right to be bitter and angry at God. And I'm saying to myself, hmm, I never read that in Scripture. It doesn't mean that we'll never become bitter and angry at God, but that's not a good place to be. In fact, we need to take care of our two chapters that we just had in our home groups, right? Take care of anger and bitterness and the roots of those things, because if you don't, it'll destroy you. Right. Well, that's not what this evangelical preacher was saying. He was saying it's okay. And, that, and if that's the conclusion of your message, and if people walk away with that, that, that's bad. That's real bad. Because you know what that is? That's just pop psychology. That's what it is. If you're mad at something, go beat the living daylights out of your pillow. So what is that going to do? It's not going to do anything. That's, that doesn't help me deal with the root of my sin and the root of my, my problem. No, not at all. So we have to ask the question, does God care that you grow spiritually? Absolutely. God cares very, very much that we grow spiritually. In fact, God cares about the strength and the maturity of his children. Some think that it's normal for Christians to remain in spiritual infancy for the duration of their lives. That as long as they have professed Jesus Christ as Lord sometime in the past, they are satisfied and think God expects no more of them wrong. That's just simply not true from Scripture. But what kind of father would want to have ten children and then not care about whether any of them grow spiritually or to physical maturity? In the same token, what kind of father would God be? if he wanted to adopt so many children into his family through the gospel of Jesus Christ and then didn't care whether they grew up in the faith to understand more about what he's done. See, God is not a deadbeat dad. He is always working toward the spiritual growth of the members of his church. Always. He never lets up. In fact, God cares about the growth of, of his, uh, and expects growth, in his older children. Where Remember when Paul was teaching the Corinthians? What did he say to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. He wanted them to be spiritual men. He wanted them to be growing. He addresses that. God also cares so much about this growth that he commands it in his younger children. It says in 1 Peter, like newborn babes, remember? Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it they may grow in respect to salvation. So God wants his little children who just accept it, him as Lord and Savior, and just as young, they're young in the faith. He wants them to grow. It's his concern for them to grow. And then, I like this passage of Scripture in Second Peter 3.18. It says, Be under guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it is. There's the key. Keep growing. And then I do want you to turn to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Remember when the people were arguing as to who was uh, their leaders? And then it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servant through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but notice this, God was causing the growth. So if God is going to cause the growth, it also says, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. It is behind real salvation. God is behind the salvation of his children, and he causes the growth in your life not only in initial conversion but every single day of your life so really it's scripturally impossible to say that someone can stay in a perpetual state of infancy or to remain a babe in christ especially if they have the mental capacity to grow in christ now there are some cases where someone doesn't have the mental capacity to grow in christ and, and the lord understands that in his grace but the majority of his believers they, they surely know uh, they can grow. They, they're, they're, they grow in their secular jobs. They grow in knowledge in other areas where they like to do things in sports and, and, and certain things like that. Well, then we can grow spiritually too. And God causes the growth. And then Thessalonians, it says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also for you. And then the members should care about their own continued growth as well as the growth of other sheep in the flock. Where in in the word of God in Ephesians, it says, and as a result, we are no longer to be what? Children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up In all aspects, in him who is the head. And then it says, who causes the growth of the body for the building of of itself in love. So the Lord is concerned about our spiritual growth. He's going to make sure that his children grow. And even if you slip into a state of dullness, and you know what? You probably will. I have. I, I didn't like being there. I hated being there. Uh, but the Lord had to teach me during that time some things, and he's going to do the same with you. I wanted to get out, and I wanted to know more. I, I, I had to know more. I had to know what God is going to do in my life. I had to know the, the deeper things of God, and, uh, and he's going to do the same for you. So his children, he doesn't s- allow to stay there. He's going to get you out of that funk, and he's going to get you moving again. And it could be the discipline of the Lord that get you out. God's going to bring something to your life, and he's going to get your attention. Actually, I was, just, I was just having a conversation with a man who uh, used to come here, and he had moved away, and um, got into his business, got into uh, the way of life where he moved to, and got away from going to church, and um, became a believer here, and stuff like that. And I just saw him a couple weeks ago and he's, he's telling me all these things that has happened. I, I said, well, what's going on in your life? Are you serving the Lord? He says, I'm serving the Lord now, but I, I wasn't. I says, well, what happened? He says, I was on vacation one day. I got a phone call from my doctor. And he says, and this guy's a young guy. He says, you know why You better, where are you at now? He says, I'm in Branson. I think it was Branson, Missouri. I'm in Branson, Missouri. He says, well, where's the nearest hospital? Go there right now. He says, well, I'm leaving home tomorrow. He says, well, when you get home, You go right to the nearest hospital. And he says, why? He says, because you have an enlarged heart, and people die from this like that. So he goes in. And a week later, he's having open-heart surgery. They had to replace the valve. They did it. Uh, They uh, brought him out. It took him a year to heal. And um, when he goes back to the doctor after a year later, he says, you know what? It didn't work. We have to open you up again. He says, you mean you have to cut me and open? He says, yeah. He was devastated. But at that point, he realized. He said to his wife, we need to get back to church. We need to get back under the word of God. And now he's teaching in his church. See, see, it was the discipline of the Lord in a physical problem that brought him back to the place where now he is very aware and very keenly aware and sensitive to the things God's doing in his life. And um, he says, so he he admitted it was a great testimony. He admitted he got away, and now he's back, and he don't want to. doesn't want to go back that way anymore. And so he's doing fine now. He's healing. He's excited. He's teaching. Uh, actually, he's teaching in his, his church on some on the man on spiritual warfare. I said, well, that's that's really great. It's, it's exciting. But see, that's what God does sometimes. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we grow spiritually the holy spirit what is he doing in our life anyway isn't he cleaning our life up he's making changes in our lives he he's bringing us into conformity to god's will and that conformity happens from the inside out not from the outside in we are changed from the inside out also god wants to see fruit of what the spirit of god is doing on the inside And so the goal, like in verse number 14, the goal for the Christian life uh, is, in verse 13, righteousness. That's always the goal. We are being sanctified so that we will do what is right. So in other words, behavior, our behavior from the inside out is very important to God. Behavior is the center of sanctification. Behavior shows what is and what is not going on inside of you. No internal transformation may mean uh, a professor may be masquerading around with righteous behavior or ethical, moral behavior and just be a hypocrite. That's a possibility. Uh, But the Holy Spirit is inside of us to produce good fruit. You'll know them by their what? Their fruit, right? And matter of fact, you'll know yourself by your fruit. You know where you, you've you been growing in. You know where where God took you from, right? You know the the way you were before and the way you should be different now because the Spirit of God's been working on you. But I believe it. It's not been apart from God's Word. If the Spirit of God is the writer and author of Scripture, he's not going to do it apart from his Word. He's going to use his Word as the tool, and that's very important for the believer so the holy spirit convicts about what is wrong and and evil and he convicts about what is right and pleasing and his conviction it is a conviction of the knowledge of what is right good and pleasing in god's sight so how can you do what is right and how can you do what is pleasing if you have no idea what right and wrong is and that's the point he's making in verse 13 and 14. That those who have been growing in the truth, are they become accustomed to what? The word of righteousness. And then what do they do in verse number 14? They begin to practice what they're doctrinally learning in a very practical way, behavior. And they are training their senses to discern two things, good and evil. That's the point. That's where the Spirit of God is bringing you. God the Holy Spirit is addressing your mind. He's informing your understanding. He's exposing you to truth. Paul told the Romans, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove the, prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So God's bringing us to the point where our minds are transformed form so we can know what actually pleases God, what's good, what's right, where we're to stay away from. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 20. This is a great passage of Scripture where he says this. Paul tells the Corinthian church, and you know the the mess the Corinthian church was in. I mean, they had like seven major issues in that church. And Paul says to them in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, Brethren, Do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking be mature. He is saying if you're going to be infants, be infants in that which is evil. In that which doesn't please God. You should be so to the point where you don't even respond to that anymore. So the Holy Spirit is making this change in us through the truth, through the Word of God. And he's doing it on, he's working on your mind. He's transforming your mind, your thinking. He's driving out that old, dirty way of thinking, and he's putting in God's way of thinking. And so the Word and the Spirit, they go together and should not be separated. The Word of God transforms us, so we develop Deep biblical convictions based on the Word of God and then my conscience and your conscience will not allow me anymore to live against my convictions. But my convictions are rooted in the Word of God which really comes from a transformed mind. So we desire to do right. We desire to live pleasing. We desire to live in a manner before the Lord that is honoring to Him and is an example to others. So a righteous life that feeds on God's word, will be able to exercise mature judgment between what is good and what is evil. Are you you able to do that? Are you growing in that way? Because if you're not, you you can't learn the deeper things of even the priesthood of Melchizedek, which we're going to pick up in chapter 7. You won't be able to grasp that won't be able to handle it. So spiritual maturity is within your reach. If you simply take God's word seriously, you have to do that first. So be ready to hear God's word. If you have to, be ready with pen and pad or whatever electronic device you're using to take notes. Be ready... To take it in. But I know this. You may not grasp everything when you're hearing it. But when you go out during the week and you think about it. It begins to click. I, now I know what that means. you ever sit there in a message and say yes. Now I got it. Now I realize what it means. And then you say now I realize what it means for me. So to be attentive. With your whole mind. That's how you ought to come to hear the God's word. Also by giving ourselves to Christian instruction and Disciplined Bible study until we have a mature grasp of the truth, so that you're able to explain it to others and help them how to grow and live. In other words, you become a discipler. Whatever God taught you, you you pour into someone else. And then you find someone to pour some something into you that they know more about uh, the word of God than you do. And then what happens, you know what? Growth takes place. And some people grow up where they become formal teachers. They become pastors and elders and professors and uh, disciplers and good teachers in the church without being uh, ordained or anything like that. But they they become good with the word of God. They they learn how to handle the word of God. So someone who's growing this way and then you become, You consistently apply God's word to the decisions of life and the decisions between good and evil, between God's way and every other way. That's what he is saying to these, his listeners, and that's what the word of God has to do with us. Are you growing? Are you a spiritual baby? Or are you, remember the levels of spiritual growth, spiritual babies, and then in 1 John, spiritual young men who are able to grow in the knowledge of the word of God to fight against Satan, they're strong in the word it says. And then I guess the highest level of spiritual growth in scripture would be spiritual fathers. And the sense I get from that is that a spiritual father has learned to live by faith. Why? Because they know the word of God so well and they know who God is so well they're able to stand strong and live by faith and nothing really moves them. Whatever comes down the pipe, they just they have a steady pace. And they can keep going, and those are the kind of people that you can look up to. Those are the kind of people you want to be like. Those are the kind of people that you want to e- exemplify. And uh, and so, hopefully, you aspi- aspire to be that kind of person, to be able to people be able to look at you and say, "I want to be like them. I want to grow like them." So then, the bottom line is this. It is the responsibility and obligation of every genuine believer to use the tools God has given us to reach the faith of maturity. The faith of maturity. So wherever you are now, don't stop. Don't remove yourself. Don't step back. Continue to press on and forward. And I always recommend get yourself a daily reading Bible, and continue every year to read through the Scripture. And believe me, once you start doing that, you will see a flow of things. And as you learn through hearing the Word of God being preached, and uh, you, you begin to put things together, and you get the flow of God's revelation from Genesis uh, to Revelation. And you begin to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's an exciting thing. When you're sitting there with a conversation uh, about the Word of God and you actually know what you're talking about. And you know where it's at in Scripture. And you, you have a sense that you can't explain everything about it, but you have a good grasp of it. So let's, let's pray that we grow spiritually to be soldiers, to be spiritual fathers, so we can walk and live by faith. And don't, don't remain a spiritual infant because it could mean you were never in the faith to begin with, you don't have God's spirit and you don't got, have got God's purpose to grow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the word of God. It ex- it's exciting to know it, Lord. It's exciting to be able to be challenged by it. And I thank you so much, Lord, that this section of scripture is in there because we so much needed today. That we're in the same position uh, that these, this author and this, these readers were. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take his admonition, that we would never be satisfied to where we are, and that we would even hate the thought of being stuck in infancy or as a babe in Christ. So, Lord, cause us to press on, to put off patterns of thinking and behavior that are not pleasing to you, and to start engaging in our mind in the meditation of God's Word. So, Lord, we become believers that can hold fast to the truth and i pray this in christ's name amen Amen. let's stand together